0: Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be here again tonight. Thank you for coming. I was praying for you today. I was praying that God would bless you with a good day, and I, I know that he did. I know that you experienced many opportunities to make choices today, and I hope that you chose to praise God and thank God for the moments that he gave you. Uh, it's... Such a beautiful time of the year, and I really enjoyed spending some time outside today. It's wonderful to live in a place where we can see the beauty of God all around us. It's good to see all of you here this evening, and I would like to share a message that God has laid on my heart. It's the kind of message that is often At a time like a week of meetings uh, would be preached on a, maybe around a Sunday morning. But I woke up this morning and God had this message here and for for now, tonight. So, I trust that God will be glorified. We sang in our first song, To God Be the Glory. Uh, We sang, that's a song we're going to sing later on, actually we sang... Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory. And I was impressed with those words. I was going to share this with you last evening, that on the table down by, beside the door, I have a book that's similar to this. It is a picture book of our church families. You may have seen it. It's not done professionally at all, and it's. I noticed that even though it says 2022, family picture book, it uh, is already a, a bit out of date, but it would at least give you an idea of, of some of the, the dear people in our lives, including my family and uh, the people who attend uh, Dunmore East Christian Fellowship. So you're welcome to take a look at that, and when you see those people, you know that those people are very dear to me. This evening, I would like to speak about these dear people, as well as the dear people that are here tonight in this gathering, I'd like to speak on the subject of the church. And the title of the message will come from the text that we will look at a little bit later on this evening. I'd like to ask you a question, or several questions tonight. I'd like to ask you, do you love your church? If you're A member here at Mine Road, do you love Mine Road? I'm not just talking about any church or the church, the universal church I'm asking. Do you love your church here at Mine Road or whatever church that you're a part of this evening? Do you love your church? What are some things that you love about your church? What are some specific things that you love about the church that you're a part of? Could you make a list of five things? Could you make a list of ten things that you love about your church, and I would like for you to do that this evening. I would encourage you to do that if you if you wish. Uh, if you're writing tonight, you make a list of what you love about your church, and I can look at you. And I may assume that you're you're taking notes on the sermon. But if you're not taking notes on the sermon and you're writing about what you love about your church, I would bless you in doing that. It's my desire tonight that every believer would experience the fullness and richness of church life. The way that God intended for it to be. And I would hope that that describes the majority of you here tonight and that the message that you will hear is one that will bring and be an encouragement to you and will bless you. Some of you sitting here may be contemplating becoming a part of a church like mine road or perhaps you're thinking about a church this church and you want to you're thinking about the possibilities of becoming a part of this church. I would be hopeful that what I share this evening would help you to make what I feel would be a very good choice. There might be some of you who are sitting here tonight who have been through some painful, difficult experiences in your life, and I can identify with some of that. Perhaps there are some of us who are feeling a little pessimistic about church life and the potential of how church should really be. Perhaps we've even looked around at potentials and possibilities in other places around us and we've thought about um, there might be a church just not so far away that we could love a little bit more than we love the church that we're currently a part of. And I suppose there, there could even be someone here tonight that could have the idea that, well, what's all the fuss about church anyway? We can be Christians without being part of a church. So for some of those people, if you're here tonight, I have a a little tougher assignment myself. I have the responsibility to present the Word of God to you tonight in such a way that you could reconsider and have a new and fresh appreciation for church and for this church. And if your love has grown cold that your love for this church could be rekindled. So how long is your list by now? The things that you're writing down, if you're writing them down, or if you're thinking about them, what would you trade? Is there anything that you would trade for those things? Tonight, tonight I would like to spend the rest of the evening focusing not so much on what we like about the church or what we love about the church, what we think about the church. I want us to focus on what God thinks about the church, what God likes about the church, what God loves about the church. What does he love about the Mine Road Congregation? What does God's list look like? And I've I made a list thinking from God's perspective and my list got longer and longer and, and yet in a way I felt like I was I was uh, at an orchard picking apples from a, a, a tree with many many beautiful apples and I could just pick a few and but this one looked good too and that one looked nice but I could just I had to limit myself to just a few and I promised the Lord tonight that I would be very mindful of him and when it's time to end the list that I would do that and hopefully that you will get your school students to bed in good time. But I want to talk about the things that are important to God. And I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles tonight to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be looking at the book of Ephesians and the things from God's list tonight come from the book of Ephesians. And our text contains the uh, title of the message tonight. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end and amen so my title tonight is glory in the church and i'm going to read these verses in several other versions the esv says now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The NRSV says, Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Glory in the church. What God thinks about the church. I want to, to tell you tonight that from Paul's epistles, it's evident that Paul always likes to connect doctrine to practice. And we believe that to be true, that what we believe in our heads ultimately needs to be carried out with our hearts and with our hands. And our theme song at uh, Dunmore East often is this, True Evangelical Faith Cannot Lie Sleeping. And it does this and it does that. We believe that. Doctrine and practice go hand in hand, and perhaps that is not not in any of Paul's epistles more clearly evidenced than in the, the epistle to the Ephesians, where we have three chapters in which Paul talks in very glowing terms of God and what he is doing in the the church and who we are and what the church is. And then he talks for three more chapters about how that will affect the lives of people within the church. And I will point out to you tonight that some of our friends in other religious circles will take the book of Ephesians, and personalize it, and individualize it, and say it is for the individual believer. And there is definitely validity to that. But Paul is writing this letter, and God is intending this to be understood in the context of church. And so that helps us to understand things like the the terms predestinated and some things like that, which we won't go into. But talking about doctrine and practice, this is very clearly evidenced when we look at the first three chapters. There's one command that I found in the first three chapters. It's it's the word, the command to remember. I believe it's found in chapter 2, about verse 11 or so. In the last three chapters, there are 40 commands. So one command in the first three, 40 commands in the last three. Paul is saying, here's what you are. Now do and live like what you are. This is the foundation This is the motivation. When I read verses 20 and 21 this evening, do you think that there's any doubt that Paul loved the church and that he was excited about the church and that he was devoted to the church? And we'd say, oh yeah, certainly. It comes through clearly in all of Paul's epistles that he loves the church. He's talking about the universal body of believers, the anonymous and faceless brothers and sisters that we have around the world and even those who have gone on before that make up the church of Jesus Christ. And certainly Paul is talking about that. But I want to remind you tonight that Paul lived with these Ephesians, with this, with these people that he's writing to, for about three years. He was a member of their church, if you please. And we can find a little bit of the story of that in the book of Acts, chapter 20, where when Paul is returning to Jerusalem, he comes through close to Ephesus one more time, and the Ephesian elders come to meet him, and Paul talks with them, and he tells them many things, and he says, When I lived among you, I labored with my own hands, and I worked night and day, And I had tears, and I gave myself. And he says, I spared nothing for you that was good for you. Paul was devoted to the church at Ephesus. Now, I know God's call on Paul's life meant that he went from one church to another location, to another location. But I certainly believe he was a faithful church member while he was there at Ephesus. He didn't say to them there in Acts 20 that, uh, well, you, you Ephesians are just so stuck in your systemic ways. You're, you've hurt people. You're too liberal. You're too conservative. The church at Ephesus is too quiet. The church at Ephesus is too noisy. The church at Ephesus is too inward-focused. The church at Ephesus is too outward-focused. The church at Ephesus is too complicated. The church at Ephesus is too simplistic. Paul identified with the church. and He was a part of it. And the scene that we have at the, at the end of Acts 20 is the elders, the leaders of Ephesus are weeping as they think of saying their final goodbyes to Paul. There's no doubt there was love and there was a relationship there. Paul didn't change churches on a whim and for his own personal reasons. I'd like to talk about glory tonight. The glory of God that we sang about this evening in the first song is found many times in scripture and it's woven throughout scripture. And it's not easy to define glory, the glory of God. It's not a real easy thing to say, well, what how would you describe the glory of God? Uh, is it a person? Yes. Is it a place? Well, well, yes. We talk about glory. Is it a condition or an attitude? Yes. It's all of the above. But it's it's not that easy to define. Martin Lloyd jo- Jones says the glory of God is something which no man can define. But then he goes on to try to define it and says the glory of God is his essential and ultimate attribute. It means his greatness, his splendor, and his majesty. And another person said this in an attempt to define the glory of God. The glory of God is the magnificence, worth, loveliness and grandeur of his many perfections which he displays in his creative and redemptive acts in order to make his glory known to those in his presence now that is a mouthful that was by Christopher Morgan maybe my simple explanation would be easy enough to understand the glory of God is the invisible qualities of of God made visible, the invisible made visible. Now, there's a lot of things about God and his glory that he has not made visible to us. But there certainly are some things about God and his glory that he has revealed and made visible to us. One example is in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth showeth his handiwork. The creative glory of God in the stars, in the full moon, and in newborn calves, and in ocean waves, and in rainbows. I'm from Ireland, and we have, we have the best rainbows in the world, I think. I was driving thinking about these things recently. I was driving along the road and I looked ahead of me and a rainstorm that so often happens quickly moved through and the sun was was there as the clouds went on and directly in front of me was the most magnificent rainbow. I was thinking about these things and it dawned on me that well that's the glory of God. And it took certain conditions for that to be revealed to me. And there it is. Beautiful. Vibrant. So, the question for us then is, how is the glory of God, the invisible glory of God, made visible by the church here at Mine Road? I can never think of the book of Ephesians without thinking of my wife's grandfather, Harold Hostetler, who is a grandfather to some of the members of this congregation. Um, He loved the book of Ephesians, and I remember the few times that I heard him speak when he spoke from the book of Ephesians, you could tell that he loved the the book of Ephesians. So I'm thinking about him tonight as as I preach, because I'm... I'm taking my list from Ephesians tonight. The glory of God, how is it made visible by you here at Mine Road? Well, here's my list, and I'll get started. Grace. Grace tonight is glorious in the church. And I'd like for us to look at chapter 1, verse 6 where Paul is exalting and he says that we are to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. I I already said that the created created things that God has made, the heavens declare the glory of God. But 100 galaxies, majestic as they are, And we can look at them for the rest of our lives. And while we see God's glory displayed there, we can never see and they can never communicate to us the glory of God's grace. Why? Because grace is a thing that involves people. People that were dead in trespasses and sins. People that rebelled against God. People that turned their backs on God. It involved a Redeemer. It involved Jesus, the Son of God, coming to earth and living a sinless life, dying a cruel death, then being raised to life. And we enter into that resurrection with Him. And that's the grace of God. The fall leaves in all their splendor cannot testify to us of the glory of the grace of God. But we can, as a congregation. Certainly as individual believers. But it gets even better as we are together as the body of Christ, as a church. This is a way in which the glory of God's grace is put on display. For God's benefit. Because God is a God who is seeking glory. And for our good we are living demonstrations of the grace of God as we exercise it with each other my senior minister and brother my mentor Dan Yoder has told me more than once we need grace we need grace if we're going to be a church we need grace to be a church That's not somehow at the expense of truth. But in our relationships with each other, like, like Paul will tell us a little further on in Ephesians, we need to speak the truth in love, always in love, being kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, responding with grace. And we have, we're always put to the test on this. this. Just this morning at 5 o'clock, I got a message from someone here. Across the ocean. And uh, it was my responsibility to to help sort through some issues of grace and and graciousness. And later I was reflecting on that and I had my my daily call with my wife and I began to talk about that situation and I realized after hearing my voice raised and talking about one of the people involved that I wasn't... While I was an instrument of grace, I was to be that. I wasn't feeling very gracious inside. I was feeling a little irritated. What an opportunity we have as a church to exercise grace and to be testimonies and displays of the grace of the glory of God, the glory of God's grace. So that's on God's list. And that's high on his list. Peace is also on God's list. Peace is glorious in the church. I'm referring to chapter 2, verses 13 through 18 primarily. I'm not going to read those verses, but I will read. look at verse 14. For he is our peace, who, Jesus Christ, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And this was two cultures, two people groups, two different ways of thinking that were brought together by Christ to form the church. And I suppose that in all churches down through the years, there has been something like this. And in, in churches then and now, there's always been the potential for factions and infighting different ideas that uh, could drive away the peace. For instance, I suppose that Corinth was more diverse than Jerusalem was, although we know that there was there, the material was there in Jerusalem for difficulty and challenging situations. I think of the church that the Lord has called me to serve at right now, and it's a joy to be there. Probably it's unique, more unique than any church that I know of, in that there are so many people from all walks of life and various backgrounds. Our church isn't as is smaller than your congregation here at Main Road as far as people, uh, as far as numbers, but I would say on a typical Sunday morning, I've, I've counted over 12 different nationalities, different backgrounds represented in attendance. And to be fair, I think among our members, it's closer to about five or six different backgrounds, different nationalities. I'm saying that to say this, that the potential is there for there to be anything but peace in the church. One thing the Irish are known for is they, they love to talk. And they talk. They talk fast. And they do like an auctioneer does. When they're thinking of what to say next, they'll use filler words and just keep talking. And we who are from the Swiss German background, we know we think about what we're going to say. I think most of us do. And, you know, there's a appropriate pause during a conversation. Or well, the tempting thing is for the Irish band to just pop in there and Finish your sentence for you, and it could be very frustrating for him, and it can be very frustrating for us because we don't get our get our communication like we want it. In a church, we're not clones, and if someone is thinking, "Well, I'll find a church where you know you you know the the, the thing about finding the perfect church, and it won't be perfect after you get there." Well. if you could find a church that has just exactly the right formula and interest group that you would just fit in because everyone around you would just be so much like you, that church could not bring the same glory to God that the church does that Paul talks about here, where Christ is our peace. And the only reason that we are together is because of Christ. And I know, And we, we have families, you know, we, we have common interests, there's a lot of things that we enjoy. We have the same thing there in Ireland. There's people that are there, they love our singing, they love the teaching, they love the school, they love the fellowship with the youth group, many things like that. But you know, if it cannot be said that Christ is our peace, then this group or any group, any church does not bring glory to God. Peace is what it is through Jesus Christ. And God is glorified by that. Is there peace here? Are we at peace with each other? Remember, Jesus has come. He's slain the enmity, the hostility that could be between us. The wall is... Taken down. Well, next on God's list is his presence. God's presence is glorious in the church. I'm taking this from chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, where it talks about the church being the temple of God, a place for God to dwell. Now, we read elsewhere in the Corinthians that we as people, we as individuals, you as a believer are the individual temple of God, and God's Spirit dwells in you. But here you see it, in whom the whole, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. This is the place where God dwells as we're built, built together, all the different parts, all the different and unique temples of God come together to form and make a temple where God dwells. You see the beauty of that. If one of those members. If one of those personal temples. Is not here. Decides to leave. For no good reason. Wouldn't that be. A building block that, that God would really want to use in his temple. That, that is not there. And would maybe Hinder that building from growing into a beautiful temple in the Lord. God dwells among his people. Ireland is filled with beautiful buildings, cathedrals. We love to visit them. Testimonies to the efforts of man to build something for God. But, They're amazing works of art. And you have to, when you walk in there and you think of the history and you think of the years of people being in those buildings. But I have already gone into a a corner of the choir loft and there's a dead sparrow laying there. Or off to the side where most of the people aren't sitting because there's not that many people left anymore. And you can go on the pews like this and your hand is black. A testimony of the work of man. But God doesn't dwell in temples like that. God dwells with his people. Here at Mine Road, God's presence is glorious in the church. Service is another thing that's on God's list. Service is glorious in the church. And this is from chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I'm just going to read snippets of that. Paul says in verse 1, I am the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you. Verse 7, he says, I was made a minister. And get this here in verse 8, I am less than the least of all saints. I've thought of that, I have thought of this when I read that. Okay, Paul, if that's how you describe yourself. And I think Paul was fully honest when he said, I am less than the least of all saints. Well, where does that put us? Less than than the least of the least of all saints, I guess. But Paul's point is that God works mightily through the very least. Who would be the least here? Who would be the the least of the least here at Mine Road? I don't know who would come to your mind when you think of that. Maybe you shouldn't think of that other than in terms of yourself. But God will work mightily through you. Service is glorious in the church. How well are you serving the church here? What are you doing for her? We have some former staff from Ireland here this evening. It's always been instructive for me when I do some recruiting and I make a phone call to a pastor or a church leader, and something like this is said in the conversation. We don't know how we'll, we'll do without that person because they give so much to the church or they give so much in the place where they're, where they're serving right now. Well, that's the kind of people that will do well in Ireland. That's the kind of people we need. One thing that's always impressed me, and this is a new one for me, at Dunmore East, we have two fellowship meals a month, uh, one on a Sunday and one on a Wednesday evening. And, uh... In my past church life, after the meal is finished, the men sit around and talk and visit. The ladies do the dishes, or like they say in Ireland, the washing up. Well, here, at our church there, the men jump up and wash the dishes along with any of the ladies who want to help. They're willing to serve in that way. That's inspired me. Service is another thing that's on God's list. Service is glorious in the church. Another one is testimony. The church's testimony is glorious in the church. The testimony that comes from the church. Chapter 1, verse 12 says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in God. And I think Paul is saying here, as as first-generation believers, as Jews, the first ones who trusted in god were to the praise of his glory and we're going to take this testimony and we're going to share this with other people then then he goes on to say in chapter 3 verse 8 unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that i should preach among the gentiles the unsearchable riches of god and to make all men see what the fellowship of the mystery what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in god who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So we see not only reaching out as the first believers to other people around them, but to make all men see in verse 9 of chapter 3. That that uh, that phrase is a picture, is a, there's a word picture that goes along with that phrase and that is to make a light shine on or to make a light shine from within. It can be both ways. But we are a city that's set on a hill. It's, it's nice to come here this time of the year and to see the lights on. And I always think about that when I see a church in, in the evening. But we are a city that's set on a hill for the world to see. If we don't Bring God glory with our testimony as a church to the world who will do it. So what is your testimony here in the community? What is your testimony? God wants to receive glory through your testimony. But he goes on to say, it's not just for people. There is a cosmic aspect to this too. Principalities and powers, heavenly places He's talking about, I believe he's talking about angels. And we could get into it. Is he talking about the good angels or is he talking about the fallen angels? I certainly know one thing. That what we do is making an impact in the heavenlies. Think with me. Of the angels, the created beings that God has there with him and there they are we don't know when they were created exactly some of those details are vague but there was at one time there was a rebellion among them and many many of their counterparts were cast out of heaven There are some angels that chose, many, many of them chose to continue to worship God and to be faithful to him. They made a choice. And then, seeing all that, they observed God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit create. As part of that creation, man and woman were created Beings that were made in the image of God. Created with the capacity to relate with God. And the angels are observing all this. And they're remembering what happened in the fall of the other angels. And then they see it. The rebellion. The disobedience. And here once again... There's a separation from God. And man and woman are driven from the Garden of Eden. So they've seen it the second time. Now, what will take place? And then, as they watch through the centuries of time and see God's plan unfolding for the redemption of man, that was so different than what had taken place the first time. There was no redemption for those fallen angels. But for man and woman, God was developing a plan that culminated in such a wonderful way when Jesus defeated Satan and death and man was redeemed. And the angels marvel at that. So when that testimony goes forth and when the angels see believers who willingly gather together in obedience to God, and are a church that speaks to the angels. God uses us to teach angels. I believe. Are we being faithful in that? We don't know what God is, what all God is doing with that instruction class, or He's using us. But let's not think that it doesn't matter. God is using our testimony. God is also using tribulations, and that's on God's list too. Tribulations are glorious in the church. Chapter 3, verse 13. Paul is just reminding the Christians there that, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is, for, which is your glory. Paul suffered much for the sake of the church. Even this letter was being penned from prison. And the church at Ephesus and many, many other churches were blessed by Paul's willingness to suffer tribulation. We owe much today to faithful believers who suffered and even gave their lives. People like Dirk Willems and Jim Elliott and Patrick of Ireland, who I talked about to the school children this morning. People who were willing to suffer persecution, and some who even gave their lives. Are we willing to face tribulation? Are we facing tribulation? And I know we could paint a a fairly broad picture here uh, where I think Paul is being specific Tribulations that are especially faced willingly and voluntarily for the sake of Christ is what he's talking about. But when we see people suffering in our midst and we see the joy and the glory, we see the joy on their faces, that brings glory to God. Don't think that your difficulty faced faithfully does not bring glory to God. It does. But when we are willing to face persecution and ridicule for the sake of Jesus Christ. That brings glory to God. Some of the young ladies who are represented in this book recently chose to wear veilings to veil their heads for the first time. It was a brave move for them. And one of their family members, I believe it was actually a a grandmother, Upon meeting them sometime later and seeing her granddaughters, having made that choice, ridiculed them. But they were glad to do it for the sake of Christ. Something that's very glorious in the church, and this is on God's list too, is unity. Unity is glorious in the church. And I take that from chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. There's a connection between glory, the glory of God, and unity. Jesus prayed in John 17, The glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So the, God shared his glory with Jesus for the purpose of Jesus being able to give that glory and to share it with us for the reason and the purpose that We could be one with each other, with him, in the same manner that the Father and the Son. So when there's disunity in the church, when it's clear that there are different paths, there's conflict that's ongoing. We do risk having the glory of God depart from us. And certainly we we are constantly working through the challenges of being sanctified and allowing God to bring us closer together. That's part of church life. But how selfish we are when we rob God of the glory that is due His name by our own petty wishes and desires and we fail to commit to living In harmony with each other. Some things about unity. Ephesians 4 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's not our unity, it's not something we can create. It's something that has been given to us by the Spirit of God. If we're part of this church, the Spirit of God has poured out unity into this church. It's our responsibility. It's my responsibility. I need to take responsibility for this to keep the unity. Endeavoring to do so. thats Endeavoring is it's something that is going to require work. It's hard. It's not just going to be something that I can just put on the back burner. In every situation, will this bring unity? Will this contribute to unity? It's my responsibility. Endeavoring to keep. In Ireland... We have many, many castles, and uh, we have many, many ruins. It's interesting. You can be driving along, and you see a pasture, uh, a pasture full of sheep or cows, and in the middle of that pasture, there's, there's a, the remnants of a castle that might be five, 600 years old or older. And often what's left of the ruins, more than anything, is what is called the keep. Castles had keeps. And they were the the place where the walls were the thickest. The battlements were the most secure. It was the place where the valuables were kept. And when all else failed and and the oppressing foes were coming in, that's where they went to be safe. It was the keep. And with that same guardianship we need to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace well sanctifying love is also on god's list it's glorious in the church and that is found in chapter 5 uh, verses 25 through 27 we see there that jesus loved the church as his bride he gave himself for her salvation but jesus also loved the church not only for salvation, but for sanctification. He's washing it and cleansing it so it could be a sanctified church. And this body, this body is just such a great aid, is such a great help in that sanctification that Jesus wants to do within us personally. Personal sanctification is so important but that in turn, as it's done in the setting of a church, helps the entire church to become more like Jesus, because that really is what sanctification means. It's a, it's a big word, but really what that word means is a growth towards becoming more and more like Jesus. And we can just help each other so much in that. Verses, or chapters four, five, and six just are just filled with verses that talk about how we can do that. Chapter 5, verse 19. Singing together. We're not just singing a solo off in a silo somewhere, but we're singing together and encouraging each other. I know you have a singing culture here. We have one in, at Dunmore East as well. That's just one way in which a church can encourage each other by speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Doing that together together. Discipline and discipleship take place within the context of church. Chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 11. The teaching roles, the administrative roles that God has lined out for the church to have in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says are for the edifying of of the body. The edification of us for our sanctification. That's why it's there. We see mutual submission, submitting ourselves one to another. We can't do that off in a lone cell somewhere. And and we see that in chapter five, verse twenty one. And I've yes, I have. As a pastor, I've had to say, you know what? I have a really good idea. I think this is what we should do. I would I, I think maybe we should we should go in this direction. And I want to lead in that way. But there have been times when someone said, you know what, maybe that is a good idea, but for now it's not the direction that we should go. And it's been a blessing to be able to submit that to the body. And I will close with one more on the list, the inexhaustible list of what God loves about the church. Back to chapter 3 and verse 20. Power, God's power, is glorious in the church. Paul says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Sometimes we view this verse and this promise as, well, this is is kind of like our own personal power pack. You know, we, we can pull this out when we need it personally. You know, there are many times when I need to have power and God will give me that more than I can ask or think. By the way, it doesn't say that you can ask. It says more than we ask or think. It's not like you don't have to ask for it. You need to ask for it. But that is true. God is there for us personally. But this is spoken in the context of the church. I believe Paul is trying to communicate with us that the power of God, the indescribable power of God that has those adverbs in front of it, but still can't be described because it's more than we ask or think or we can imagine, that's for us, and that works through the church. How long is your list, by now? God's list of grace, peace, his presence, service, testimony, tribulations, unity, sanctifying love, power. God loves the church. Do you love your church? God is glorious. God is deserving of glory. And much of his glory has not yet been revealed. But the glory that he has chosen to have revealed, it is our responsibility to reflect that and to reveal that. And one way, one incredible, one amazing way that God chooses to reveal himself and his glory is through the church. Perhaps that's the most significant way in the age in which we live. What a privilege it is to be a part of his church If you're here from Mine Road, what a privileged person you are. Let's kneel and pray.